you're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. We encourage you to use this podcast only as a supplement to your regular attendance or membership of a local church that faithfully preaches the gospel. If you're in Birmingham, we would love for you to visit Iron City. See more details at our website, ironcitychurch.org. Good evening, Iron City Church. It was a little over a year ago that my wife and I were commissioned to move our families to Morocco, and it's been a wild year. But I will share a little bit about that as we walk through our text today in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But as we were packing for our trip home for Christmas, we began to discuss, Hannah and I, what felt more like home, Morocco or America. And we ended the conversation both feeling a little bit conflicted, because in one sense, Birmingham still, still felt very much like home. And in another sense, Morocco felt like home. For Birmingham, you know, we were raised nearby. Our families live in the area. Our gracious and loving sending church is here. For Morocco, that's where we live now. That's where we had our son. That's where our new church family gathers. So we felt torn about what home actually is. You know, when you hear these, these people say, home is where your heart is. And that, that sounds nice, but in reality, is it not much more than that? Is home not so much bigger than just where your heart is? There is a sense in where, which that's true. But what about when your heart feels divided? Then where is home? Where can you call home? There's this interesting theme in the Bible itself, the theme of God's house or the house of God. It starts out with Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. He's given a vision, a dream from the Lord. He's given this dream, and when he wakes up from the dream, he names the place where he had it, Bethel. That means the house of God in Hebrew. He's not denying that God exists everywhere. But he is acknowledging that in that specific place, there was a unique connection, a special connection between heaven and earth, a place that he could call the house of God. And that theme continues to run throughout the Old Testament through the tabernacle being called the house of God and then the temple. But the picture is a place where God's presence dwells in a unique way. And in a lot of ways, the theme of God making his home among his people, that theme can be said to categorize and to summarize the entire Bible, God making his home among his people. So if you, like me, feel conflicted about where your home really is and what a home is, then this sermon is for you. I would like to show you from 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 16, how that theme, the house of God, can allow you to walk with the living God in a much closer way wherever he has you and whenever he has you right now. But first, I want to give a disclaimer to the parents. I know that today is a unique gathering at Iron City, having kiddos in the room. And I want you to know that in our church in Morocco, we don't yet have the joy of having a children's ministry. So every week as I preach, 
There are precious kiddos, some sleeping and some hollering, and that is okay. I'm glad that you're here, parents, and I'm glad that your kiddos are here. And it doesn't bother me. It does not distract me. I am filled with joy for you. And for those of you who like to take notes, our time today will have two points. The first point and the longest point comes from verses 14 and 15 of our text, a home for the helpless. The second point comes from verse 16, the door for the destitute. Point one, a home for the helpless. Point two, the door for the destitute. So we will begin with point one, a home for the helpless, and I will read verses 14 and 15. This is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So Paul here planted this church in Ephesus. It was a pagan city. You can go back and read about this in Acts chapter 19 and 20. And he eventually got ran out of town for preaching the gospel. But it wasn't before God's faithfulness allowed multiple people to come to faith. So Paul had planted this church and he began to teach the new disciples about the way of Jesus. But before he got finished and before he raised up pastors from among them, he was kicked out. So he left Timothy, his disciple, to be there to pastor and to lead this church. So that's the beginning of what we see in verse 14, that Paul is hoping to come back and visit. He's hoping to come back and form them through teaching and preaching in a new way. But he's worried that he's going to be delayed. So he has some instructions that he's given them here in the book of 1 Timothy. The crux of where I want to be is in verse 15. Our text says that the house of the living God is the church. Have you ever considered why the Bible calls God over and over our God? He call, the Bible calls him the living God. The Bible calls Yahweh the living God. It does not call Artemis of the Ephesians to whom this is being uh, the people of Ephesus, who many of them worshipped Artemis of the Ephesians, it doesn't call that God the living God. It does not call the God of Islam in Morocco the living God or the countless gods of Hinduism because these gods, in essence, are false gods and they are not alive like Yahweh. So for us, whether it be a phone, a paycheck, whether it be a relationship that we want to fulfill us, whether it be early retirement or a career that we just can't wait to build, whether it be any of these things, idolatry, religious or not, cannot fulfill. When we trust in things that are not alive, in the way that Jesus is alive to fulfill us, we will be disappointed. But on the other hand, when we trust in Jesus, who holds the death of he holds the keys of death and Hades. He is the resurrection and the life. He has triumphed over the grave. When we trust in him for fulfillment, we will not be disappointed, brothers and sisters. Shaolin says it best in talking about the living God. He paints this picture. He says, Plato is dead. Socrates is dead. Aristotle and Immanuel Kant are dead. Nietzsche and Darwin are dead. However, Jesus is alive. 
Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Gandhi and Hali Sasi are dead. Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Brothers and sisters, our text calls God the living God, and that is good news. That is very good news for us today. That means that when we call to him, he hears us. That means when we cry to him, he can comfort us. That means that when we sin, he can forgive us. He is the treasure that our souls are longing for. He is all that we need, and that is good news. Here, it doesn't just say that God is a living God, but it says that that God has a house. It says that the church is the house of the living God. It is his dwelling place. It is his temple. It is where his presence dwells in a special way. So let me ask you, do you want to know what it means to be in the presence of God? Do you want to experience the living God? Do you want to know his grace and to know that he is yours and to know that you are his? Do you want to just rest in the promise, I will be your God and you will be my people? Then trust in Jesus, risen from the dead, and throw yourself deep into fellowship with the local church, the household of the, local, of the living God. Now, I want to be clear and I want to be careful with what I'm saying here. I know that there are people in this room who have tried the church and have walked away with deep wounds. I'm so sorry for whatever it is that you're carrying and however you've been hurt. I'm sorry if those who are entrusted with shepherding and caring for your souls instead abused it. That's wrong, and the Lord hates that. Jesus said, on the day of judgment, we'll be held accountable for every careless word that we speak. And James says clearly that teachers, first and foremost, will experience a stricter judgment. You will be represented on the judgment day if you were in Christ. You can trust that. The church is called to be a place of healing, not a place of hurt. A place of building up, not a place of tearing down. So if you are here and this is you, I'm so grateful that you're here. It takes bravery for some people to just step in the doors of a church. Be strong and let other know, others know about your hurt. And pray and pursue healing in that area. After Paul here says that the church is God's house, he then goes on to give an illustration to further solidify the importance of the church in our hearts. He says here that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Pillars support the roof of a building, and buttresses are braces that help support the walls. So while Paul uses a building illustration here to prove that the church is a support for the truth, I want to be clear that churches in themselves are not buildings. Churches are groups of people, people committed to loving Jesus and to gathering week by week and to remember the gospel, to remember Jesus through the preaching of the word and through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Paul uses this illustration to show us that the church is a support for the truth to the world. So by God's grace and by nature of what I have the joy of getting to do, I've gotten the opportunity to visit churches in various countries. And one of the things that in the beginning surprised me as I viewed churches in different contexts 
The thing that surprised me was not what was so different about these churches, but how much was actually similar about them. Take Iron City and Morocco, our church in Morocco, for example. There are a few things that are different. Our gathering in Morocco has English, it has Arabic, and it has French. We meet in an apartment, not in a church building. And culturally, people take their shoes off indoors. So most weeks, we are a barefooted church. Some things are just different. But the way that the church supports the truth, the way that the church comes to lift up and to hold up the truth does not change. The church does that by doing what the Bible tells churches to do. The Bible tells churches to sing to the Lord. So we sing to the Lord. The Bible tells churches to pray to the Lord. (coughs) So we pray to the Lord. We proclaim the gospel through the Lord's Supper, through the preaching of the word, through the reading of scripture. We love one another by show and show the world that we are Jesus' disciples. We fight for unity with one another. We love our unbelieving neighbors by caring for tangible and spiritual needs. Brothers and sisters, the way that the church comes up and under the gospel in order to to help support it for the lost world does not change culture by culture. And let me share with you what this has looked like in our church. So the first month of us gathering, we had this man who was about 50 years old, who was a local Muslim man who met a brother in our church and decided to come gather with us. He was in his mid-50s, a very put-together and professional man. During our time of praying for one another before the Lord's Supper, this man suddenly started crying. And he looked at us and he said, this is the community I've been looking for for my entire life. Our prayers and our love testified to the truth that we proclaim. That's what happens when we are a community who loves one another and confesses our sins and prays for one another. The world sees the difference and that comes alongside the truth that we proclaim to prove it. In another situation, Hannah and I had met a girl who was a bit of a Muslim-Hindu combination, a, a very weird combination, but she began coming to our gatherings and stuck around for about five months. Week in and week out, she would hear the preaching of the word. She would see the Lord's Supper pass before her. And she would know that if only I would trust in Jesus, the grace of the Lord could be mine. So week in and week out, she would see this. And eventually one Sunday, she pulled Hannah to the side and said, I'm in, I want to follow Jesus. And the beauty of that is it is the local church being the pillar and buttress of the truth that is the means through which she came to Jesus. You guys can pray for this sister. She has a long road ahead of her in the gospel. But let's come back to Birmingham, Alabama, here and now. Let's come back to the room. What about you? Are you a member of a healthy local church? You cannot be a Christian on your own. That's not an option biblically. Christianity is a team sport. We need one another in this. We cannot do it alone. I'm not saying that that has to be Iron City Church. There are many other faithful churches here in Birmingham. Just find a church where the people love Jesus and they love one another. Find the church where they preach the word of God in season and season, when it's popular and when it's not, and not just their own opinions. 
Find a church that is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Remember that you're not looking for a perfect church. If you are, you will not find it. All churches are imperfect, filled with sinners. But find one that pursues the Lord with humble repentance. If you are a member of of this church or another church, how are you partnering with your local church to support the truth of the gospel? I'll suggest to you a few ways. First, support the truth of the gospel through evangelism. And don't be lone ranger evangelists. In the same way that Christianity is a team sport, evangelism is also a team sport. This is not Easter egg hunting, where everyone goes out looking for their eggs to take them home with them. This is something that we do together. We need to both preach the gospel with our mouths and to show them the gospel in the church. They need to see that in the gospel, they have a father who can be their father in heaven. And they have brothers and sisters who can shape their lives here on earth. Brothers and sisters, support the gospel through evangelism. Support the gospel also through giving to your local church. The work of the gospel takes partners to give to it. And support the gospel through doing this. And support the gospel through active service in your local church as well. We would not be able to take the Lord's Supper week in and week out if there were not hands pouring the juice into the cups or to bring the loaves to the gathering. We could not worship the Lord through the Lord's Supper without hands. Brothers and sisters, whether it be the hands team, the children's ministry, the international ministry, there are several ways to get involved. The parking team. Brothers and sisters, these are ways. It doesn't matter what it is. These are ways of supporting the truth. That's what we do as a church. And the gathered church is the place where God dwells in a unique way. As we gather, the Lord is with us. It is the closest place on heaven to earth. Here and now, as we gather under the preaching of the the word, as we gather before the Lord's Supper, this is the closest place you can be to the Lord anywhere on earth is with the gathered saints. Brothers and sisters, that is good news. It is good news that we can approach God, not alone, but together. It's not one person approaching God on behalf of all of us. Jesus Christ has made the way for us so we can all approach him together. This is the closest place to God you can be on the earth today and now. Hear the words of an old hymn. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Brothers and sisters, in our Father's house, there are many rooms and there is space for you. I don't know what your history with the church is, but God's house has many rooms and there is a place for you. Whether you're helpless, whether you're experiencing homelessness, whether you're poor or rich, there is a place for you in God's household. And that is good news. Let's continue on into the second point from verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested. This is about Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 
I'm going to keep this point short and sweet. This is the door for the destitute. Point one, the door, point two, sorry. The point, the door for the destitute. Jesus is the mystery of godliness. He is the Son of God who came in the flesh, was manifested among us in the flesh. He is the one who was proclaimed guilty on earth, hung on a Roman cross to die on our behalf, but vindicated in power by his resurrection from the dead by the Spirit of God. He was overseen by angels in his birth, in his temptation, in his resurrection. And today there are angels day and night before him crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. He has been proclaimed among the nations. He has been believed on in the world. If you don't believe that, look around, brothers and sisters. We are thousands of miles away from where this was written. We are thousands of miles away from where Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And most of us come historically, not through the line of Jesus or through the line of the apostles or through the line of the faithful, but rather through the line of pagans and through the line of polytheists. So if you don't believe that the gospel has been preached and believed on in the world, look around. That's good news for us, brothers and sisters, that the gospel has been preached among the nations and it is being preached among the nations here in Birmingham, Alabama, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus not only died on the cross and rose from the grave, but he was taken up in glory where he lives forever. The reason Jesus' ascension is good news for you is not because he ascended just to sit. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, signaling that all things are finished. But what is he doing? What is Jesus doing right now? He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He, interceding for you forever, ensures that you will be proclaimed innocent on the final day. Jesus is... His ascension and his intercession is what secures your salvation for all of eternity. He never ceases to intercede for you. And these are the core truths of the Christian faith. Jesus said that he is the door. So it doesn't matter how destitute or how down you feel. You are welcomed in God's house. But you must come through the door. There is no other means of entry. Whether it be the local church in this world or the eternal kingdom, God's house in all of eternity, there is no other door. You must believe the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, you are not believing something that's just in this room, but you're believing something throughout the entire world, something cosmic, something that angels wish that they could look into. And you can worship and sing, looking forward to the time when you will sing God's praises in eternity. You can partake of the Lord's Supper, longing for the day when we will sit before Jesus and eat the marriage supper of the Lamb, and Jesus himself will serve the table. You can pray, looking forward to the day where you no longer need faith to believe that God hears your prayers because you will look up and speak to Jesus directly. You will have sight. You can find rest in your father's household. I close our time today with a quote from Caroline Cobb. 
She said, there is a mountain only the lame can climb. There is a table only the hungry find. Only the beggar will have the currency when need is all you need. He carries the cripple to the feast. Come to the table. Come sit. He has saved you a seat. Come and eat and drink without money and without a cost. He has paid it on the cross. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that as we gather together, your spirit is among us in a special and unique way. We thank you that in your providence, you have not stayed far off, but you have manifested yourself among us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray that we would delight in the local church this coming year and that we would truly be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.